You don't know what you're talking about. He's mine. No, it's not. He's mine. I called him first. I don't care what you called. I've already told you. He's mine. You're such a liar. He's mine. Just get over it. Yep, that's what you'll have to do. Get over it. Cause he's well, mine. it won't be this childish. Today we'll see a battle over who really is of God and who is not of God as Jesus and the Jews finish off their showdown on tonight's Bible Study Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Bible Study Podcast. My name is Justin, and I'm so excited to be with you again tonight as we continue our journey through John. Tonight we'll see the conclusion of the conversation between the Jews and Jesus in John chapter 8, and we'll be heading towards chapter 9. But first, I'd like to say thank you to all of you who have sent me such nice wishes for my birthday, which, which was on April the 10th, and it really does mean a lot to me that you guys care and that you guys are praying for me, so I'd just like to say thanks. And, uh... If you'd like to contact me for any reason, feel free to send me an email at BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I'd also like to thank all of you for your prayers in regard to my job situation. I will be starting at the end of April as an assistant director of a sports ministry in a major church in the Charlotte area, so thanks a lot for your prayers, and, and please continue to pray for me as I transition into this new position. Also, be in prayer for Bible Study Podcasts, as it looks like we're pretty much online to... Uh, be at Carowinds, the theme park down on the North and South Carolina border for uh, the Christian Music Day this year, Sunfest. So be listening for more information about that in the coming months. And uh, if you're able to go to that, be looking for us. We'll be out there. But uh, with all that being said, let's go to our Father in prayer that we may hear a word from heaven tonight. Our Father, it's such an honor and a privilege to once again come before your throne. You are the Most High God, and you deserve all glory and honor. Please help us as we seek to give you the glory you so deserve. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would illuminate our minds and captivate our hearts as we venture into your word. Thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, as we hopefully remember from last week, Jesus has gotten into a big-time discussion if you will, with the Jews over who their father was, who was their true father. If you don't remember that, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to last week's podcast and catch up to here, because it's going to help you a lot with just the background. But you see, tonight we're going to be picking up right in the middle of this conversation, starting in verse 48, which, which follows from verse 47. Now, while I realize that this observation is not really a huge theological discovery, it is important, because... Jesus ended verse 47 by concluding his argument that the Jews are not of God. Now this is a huge claim that the Jews must deal with, for it is they that claim they are God's people. They are the ones who hold the secrets of the king, supposedly, and so it's a big deal if they are not truly of God. This is where we'll begin tonight with verse 48, where the Jews basically pose the question, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, to fully grasp what they're saying here, remember that back in chapter 7, verse 20, the Jews had proclaimed that Jesus must have a demon when Jesus claimed that they were trying to kill him. So having heard Jesus' argument, and obviously being opposed to his suggestion that they are not of God, the Jews resort to their previous position. We were right, weren't we? What's funny is the two options they give. You're a Samaritan. That is, you're not a real Jew. A pure Jew. You're, you're not one of us, you're one of those Samaritans. You're dirty. You're a half-breed. 
I think this is kind of funny because the objection they give to follow Jesus' argument that they're not of Abraham, which they claim they were in verse 39, is this one. This is the response. And the problem is the Samaritans were also descendants of Abraham. So they really aren't getting anywhere in terms of the argument. So what does that tell us? It tells us this is just an insult. You know, They're trying to say, hey, you're one of those. You're dirty. You're half-breeds. You're not a pure Jew. You're not really of us. And the second option that they give is that of a demon. Are you being led by a demon? Is Satan tempting you to say these things? Now, friends, I think there's a quick lesson here that can be learned for us in this. Because, you see, the Jews did not agree with the conclusion that they, they were not of God. But rather than examining themselves, rather than examining their motives and determining whether that was true or not, they, they just put it off as, oh, this comes from a half-breed, or, or this comes from the devil. You know, we, we'd be wise that when we come across issues in dealing with others where we don't necessarily agree with them, that we don't just jump to the conclusion of, oh, they must be of the devil. They must be, you know, illegitimate somehow. We need to be careful that we don't just jump to that conclusion. We need to be careful that we know what it is we believe and why we believe it. But remember these two options, because Jesus is now going to answer the Jews' question by addressing both of these in the rest of this chapter. The first one he'll take on is his claim that he has a demon. Let's read verses 49 through 51. Where Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Look at his answer here. First he begins by just stating the fact, I don't have a demon. But then he backs us up by telling us what it is that is truly driving him. You see, in saying that Jesus has a demon, the Jews are kind of implying that the devil is directing him or somehow driving him in a certain manner. Jesus' response is to not only deny their claim, but to give them what is truly driving him. And so in this response, Jesus gives the people two actions that he does, an action that the Father does, and two options for the people. First off, Jesus says that he honors the Father. That's what drives him. That's what directs Jesus. You know, as we've seen throughout the Gospel of John to this point, Jesus is led by his goal to honor the Father. His goal is to honor and glorify the Father. He does not work to pump himself up. He doesn't run an ad campaign to make himself known. In fact, as you may remember, when his brothers suggested for him to do that, he would not do it. He wouldn't make himself a show at the Passover. Why? Because his goal is to honor the Father. And so the second action Jesus takes, a negative action, flows directly from his goal to honor his Father. He doesn't seek his own glory. He will not do it. He seeks the Father's glory, and that's it. However, there is an action that the Father is taking in all this as well. And Jesus lets us know. He says there is one who seeks and judges. What he's getting at here is Jesus doesn't glorify himself, but there is one, the Father, who seeks glory for him and who judges those who do not give glory to Jesus. But you see, there's two options for the people available as well. The first is the state that they're in now. They dishonor Jesus. Even though Jesus honors his Father, the people dishonor him. They do not believe in him. Now remember this because we'll come back to this in a second, but just remember, they dishonor Jesus. The other option for the people, though, is that if anyone will keep his word, he will never see death. 
This is a negative restatement of what Jesus has taught before. He gives eternal life. If you believe in Him, you will have eternal life. If you believe in Him, you will not face death. He will take away death for those who keep His word. That is, who live out His word, who believe in Him. So Jesus' answer to whether or not He has a demon is, No, I don't have a demon. I'm led by the Father. But you don't honor me. However, there is an option for even you. Because if you will believe in my word, if you'll keep it, you'll never face death. This answer, though, does not satisfy the Jews as they answer in verse 52 and 53. Excuse me. Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? They say this man must be crazy. He must have a demon. There's got to be something off in him. Now why do they say that? Because Abraham, he died. The prophets, you know, these great men of God, they died. And yet you're out here running around saying that if we keep your word, we won't taste death. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than Abraham? You think you're better than the prophets? Who, guess what, died. Who do you think you are? Well, Jesus is going to take this on in verse 54 to 56 by responding to their questions by going back to their assertion that he's not a pure Jew. He doesn't come from Abraham. So let's watch this happen. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now at this point it may be helpful to note and to remember that Jesus begins by drawing the contrast between himself and the Jews in reference to the father. It it may help you at this point just to make a little chart with Jesus on one side, the Jews on the other side, and the father in the middle. See, he starts out by saying that if he glorifies himself, his glory is nothing. That it is in vain. It means nothing. It'd be bragging, boasting. He does not glorify himself. You see, the middle chart is the Father. He, it is he who glorifies Jesus. The Father is the one who judges and seeks those who glorify God. And this is what we were talking about just verses earlier. But see, contrast this to the Jews who claim that Jesus' Father is their God. See, they dishonor Jesus. That's what we just saw. But if the Father glorifies Jesus, the implication is that the Jews do not follow the Father. Because if they did, they would honor Christ. But they don't honor Christ, so they don't follow the Father, even though they claim that He is their God. So Jesus goes on to give them another contrast, that He knows the Father and He keeps His word. This is contrasted to the Jews who haven't come to know the Father, he says. And he proves this by his appeal to truth of the claims regarding the Father. That is, if Jesus were to say that he didn't know the Father, he would be a liar. Just to make sure they get what he's saying, he reminds them that he would be a liar like they are. You see, he's comparing himself to the Jews who say they know God, when in truth they do not. So, they're claiming they know God when they don't. And they're lying. 
And Jesus says, if I said I didn't know the Father, I would be a liar just like you. I would be saying the exact same opposite as you are. So Jesus, through these comparisons, is showing the Jews that they don't know God at all. So by implication, we could say, if you don't know God, you couldn't know about Satan, so how could you know that I would be acting like I had a demon? But even further, Jesus drops a bombshell on the people by telling them, not only do they not know God, but they don't even know Abraham, their own supposed father. Now how does he do this? Well, he tells them that Abraham rejoiced to see his day, and he saw it and was glad which elicited the Jews' response in verse 57. You're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Now, let's talk about this for a sake. We're going to have to talk about this just for scholarly sake, but let me give you the key point first. It tells them, you know what? Abraham rejoiced to see this day. He, he saw it and was glad. Whereas you, you see me, and you're not glad. You don't have any hope for me. You don't have any love for me. You disrespect me. You are doing the exact opposite of what your supposed father would do. You don't get it. But now, let's talk about this, this section for a, a moment here, because Jesus' comment is a pretty big issue for commentators. The issue in question here is, what does Jesus mean? For he has just said that Abraham rejoiced to this day, and that he saw it and was glad. Well, the question is over in what sense or in what way did Abraham see this day and become glad? Further, what is this day? Well, in case you were wondering, the Greek doesn't really differ at all from the way the translation reads. So it's not like it's an issue of a translation confusion or anything like that that makes this problem bigger to solve for the average person. That's not that at all. There's no problem with the Greek. So here's the deal. When Jesus is talking about his day, he's not saying that particular one day, but the day of salvation that has come to deliver. He has come to deliver. That's what Abraham and the prophets as well rejoiced over. As Matthew thirteen seventeen records, Jesus told his disciples that many men and prophets longed to see what they see and didn't get to see it. What they were longing to see was Christ Jesus, for when he came he was coming to save. This is the argument for the first part of this statement. Why did Abraham rejoice for this day? It's because he was looking forward to his salvation. We can see this in Hebrews 11.13, which reads, All these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now the argument comes over the question of how did Abraham see it and become glad? Some have conjectured that Abraham saw this day through some sort of prophetic foresight that he may have had, but that raises the question of why did the Jews respond as they do? You know, asking how did Jesus see Abraham? Now I know we could argue, as we have throughout here, the Jews are kind of off base. You know, th typically some of their answers have been answers to the wrong questions or answers to different questions than what Jesus has given them. But still. We have to admit, their their initial response is, how did you see Abraham? So how did Abraham see you? So it, it makes us wonder, couldn't this just be a prophecy? I, I don't know. Well, some argue that this is referring to the time when Abraham nearly sacrificed Isaac in Genesis, noting the similarities between that near sacrifice and the actual sacrifice of Christ. 
Now, while this does give more value to that episode, you know, making the sacrifice of Isaac a true object lesson for Abraham about the day of salvation, really doesn't explain how he saw Jesus. Under that, he would just be seeing some kind of a typological representation of Jesus, you know, almost like an archetype, a symbol. We see the verb used here for he saw it and was glad is a past tense verb. It's not something that's ongoing or carrying over into the time of Jesus. So there's not an option of saying something to the effect of maybe Abraham's spirit is seeing the day of salvation now and is glad. No, it's past tense term. You know, it's not it's not now. So I, I think the best explanation for what Jesus is saying here is that he's referring to this intimate relationship between Abraham and God. Now, without getting too deep into this, I, I'd like to first remind you that there are instances in the Old Testament where we see the appearance of what many scholars will call the pre-incarnate Christ as being manifested in some form to meet with his people. This is sometimes called a theophany, where an appearance is made, a manifestation is made of God, where it's not actually God, but it's an appearance that carries the message of God. Like the burning bush is a good example. There's fire there, but it's not really God, but it's just a physical manifestation. Well, this happens many times with what's known as pre-incarnate Christ. For example, the man who visited Abraham in Genesis 18 to tell him that he would have a son and that Sodom and Gomorrah was to be destroyed. Or the captain of the Lord's host in Joshua 5 who led the army. Or in Hebrews 11.27, when talking about Moses, the writer of Hebrews says, He endured, for he saw him who is unseen. Remembering that Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So, so what am I saying here? <laughs> well, I'm saying that I think it is in this relationship that Abraham saw Jesus. As Abraham's relationship with God was so intimate that he met with God. And when he did, he saw Jesus. And looking forward to this day of redemption, of salvation, he saw Jesus and was glad. He saw the plan. He knew what was coming. Now, while this is not something that you must understand completely to get this text, it is something you may run into if you partake in a serious study. So I felt like we should kind of talk about it for a second. But remember that the key point key point is the people don't even know Abraham because Abraham the guy they claim to be following the guy they claim was the head of their group is even honoring Jesus he looked forward to this day and was glad and the people are sitting here saying oh he must have a demon you know he's he's just not one of us he doesn't get it because he's a half-breed now there is an interesting note here to make that uh the comment they make about Jesus is not even 50 years old. Time-wise, we estimate Jesus would have been in his 30s. Some people would say mid-30s, early 30s. Some would even go back as far as late 30s. But still, in his 30s is a range. So why is 50 the age that they give out? Some have said this is the end point of measurement for the Jews, meaning you'd be considered like a mature man. You are said to have gone through all of your learning and all of your experiences by the time you've reached 50. And that may be, but I think Merrill Tenney's opinion seems to make more sense here. Could it be that Jesus had been under so much stress from carrying on literally the sins of the world, taking on this grief of what was to come, that he was aged to the point that they thought he was closer to 50 than the reality that he was 30? 
Matthew Henry writes, in commenting about Isaiah 53, his condition was, upon many accounts, sorrowful, speaking of Jesus. He was unsettled, had not where to lay his head, lived upon alms, was opposed and menaced, and endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. His spirit was tender, and he admitted the impressions of sorrow. We never read that he laughed, but often that he wept. Lentulus, in his epistle to the Roman Senate concerning Jesus, says, He was never seen to laugh. And so worn and macerated was he with continual grief, that when he was but a little above thirty years of age, he was taken to be nearly fifty. Regardless his age or his looks, the question seems pretty straightforward. How have you seen Abraham? And it's here that Jesus drops perhaps the biggest statement of the whole gospel to this point. Definitely the biggest statement of this whole conversation in chapter 8. He says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, Christ said, I am, taking on the divine name once again. In the King James, this reads that before Abraham was, I am. And, and some groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses or Aryan groups have taken this to say that Jesus was just in existence before Abraham was in existence. The problem is the word in the Greek is the word genomai, meaning it's the word we get for you know, being born, becoming. So it's where we get the English word generate from. That is, Abraham was born. When Jesus says, I am, it's not the same verb. It's the verb we've talked about on here before, a me, which means I am, I exist. So it has nothing to do with coming into existence, whereas Abraham it did. So this is not saying that Jesus is just before Abraham. It's saying that Jesus is eternal. I am. He's taking on this claim to the divine name given back in Exodus. This is reflected as we end the chapter with the Jews attempting to stone him, seemingly for blasphemy. But Jesus was hidden from them and was able to get away, for once again it was not yet his time. And with that, my friends, we close out chapter 8. So what can we take from this passage that we have studied tonight? Jesus has definitely made the case that he is indeed of God and is himself God. He has come to carry out the Father's will and to bring honor to his Father, whereas the Jews who claim to be God's people do not really know God and will die in their sins. How sobering a thought and how sad a commentary on the people as they stood literally before their only hope of salvation and rejected him to his face, claiming he is of the devil. He's not one of ours. We don't claim him. Friends, may we hope that the same would not be said of our generation, that we had the truth there before us. We willingly reject it, cast it out of our church, cast it out on the basis of culture, government, what other people think, postmodernism. We take the truth and we make it into nothing, thus losing our salvation. Until we meet again, friends, may God bless and keep you. Never till he'll see you through. He'll be there for you. Safe to say he will not let you down. Never too late. 
can see from the past how we saved my life. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right hand side you can make a tax deductible donation from there by doing so you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who just like yourself desire to find answers and meaning in scripture we thank you for listening today and we pray that the lord blesses you and draws you closer to him keep growing closer to jesus like an eagle way high up in the sky It's a choice I know that I have to take Like I said before, it's never too late He'll take care of you He'll be there for you Safe to say he will not let you down Never too late